0: Welcome to RAQA Today, the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott. This is the recording of the Q&A of ESTAR star 5.0 with Patrick
1: Axtell from the FDA and Michelle Lott from Lean RAQA. Um, and Michelle, I can just take it away with uh, a couple of high-level questions if you'd like. Misunderstandings we've seen, so I thought I'd go through those first before we get to the questions. So to begin with, um, something that comes up a lot is the uh, idea that you have to use, your, it's mandatory that you use the latest version of E-Star that's in effect. That's actually not true. You can actually submit older versions of E-Star and we will accept those. However, as it states, and for every every question I go through, uh, just so you know I'm going to also address where this question is uh, um, addressed in either eStar or the web page. So where it's addressed because we do address a lot of the questions that we get in some place. So when it that's comes perfect. to the version of eStar, so in the version history of EStar on page one, that's where we address how versioning works. And it states there that if you do submit an older version of eStar, you may receive more additional information requests than you otherwise would. We will still accept it though so for example you have version 5 right now if you submit version 4.0 right now and your device has no cybersecurity considerations at all you can submit version 4.0 just fine without any concerns without any risk of getting additional information requests that you otherwise wouldn't get additionally if your device doesn't use software you could actually submit version 3.0 of e-star right now and not have to worry about getting any additional information requests that you otherwise would um, because the version update from 3 to 4 uh, and 4.0 was to have the policies in eStar align with the software guides. So again, uh, it just depends. So if you're, for example using version 4.0 and you see you know 5.0 has now become an effect. and we do have a 60 day transition for every time we do a major update from you know let's say 4.0 to 5.0 or 3.0 to 4.0, so you do have a little bit of leeway there to switch over. But it, let's say you didn't get it in time, 5.0 came out. If the changes in 5.0 affect your device, you might want to switch over. And there are a couple ways you can do that. Um, and I'll discuss the import-export function a little later. But if it doesn't, if that major policy doesn't affect you, no worries. Continue on with that version that you got. You can attach more than one attachment per attachment question. And this is addressed in a couple of the attachment questions in eStar where we say, you can attach multiple documents here uh, so we try to actually address that at the question level to try to let people know hey you can click this button this add attachment button more than once and attach multiple things so just be aware you can do that also the truth and accurate statement it's only required for 510ks and it's the only place now that we request an electronic signature however if you don't want to use an electronic signature or you just really want to upload uh, a truth and accurate statement instead that has a wet signature you can do that and that's addressed where you uh where you uh answer the questions about truthful and accurate statement in eStar, it's that that's in the administrative documentation section at the end uh and so you can choose to upload one and then not electronically sign if you choose uh, something else that came up is you actually don't have to use the latest version of adobe acrobat pro you can use multiple different applications like foxit or pdf exchange editor uh, and this is addressed in the faq on page one of eStar. in addition E-Star actually works better in the older versions of Adobe Acrobat Pro for Windows because, like for example, version 2017, because in the later version of Adobe Acrobat Pro, and this is only for Windows, they introduced a feature, in quotes, which caused a bug in large dynamic PDFs like EStar that causes them to be slow. And this affects some but not all users, so only some people have seen this. It doesn't affect the Mac version, This slowness doesn't affect any other applications, it's just the Windows Adobe Acrobat Pro. And the way you can resolve that is if you go to the E-STAR website, scroll to the end, the last paragraph addresses what you can do in Adobe Acrobat Pro to resolve that issue. Oh yeah, one other thing. If you submit your 510K before October 1st, 2023, then you are grandfathered into the way things were before October 1st, 2023. On October 1st, we started requiring all eSTARs to be, or, or, all 510Ks to be E-STARs. And so if you submitted your your 510K before October 1st, 2023, whether you submitted an E-STAR or an E-copy doesn't matter. When you submit additional information to us, that additional information can be an E-copy if you choose. However, if you submitted your 510K after October 1st, 2023, your additional information response has to be in the form of an updated E-STAR. And this is all addressed on the E-STAR website. So you can go there to see exactly what's said about that. Michelle, did you wanna say anything before I jumped into these?
0: Yeah, so it was a very dynamic webinar and we covered about 15 minutes or so worth of questions. And there were just uh, this laundry list that I sent you and kind of reorganized of of questions that we didn't get to. So we said we would reach out directly to the FDA, especially about some of the more technical ones and um, hear directly from the expert himself.
1: All right. So the first one, uh, EStar moved to be mandatory in October for 510K. Can you speak a bit to the other submission types? Uh, EStar when they'll become mandatory. So the only other submission type we're looking to become mandatory right now is de novo, and that de novo electronic submission template guidance went out. I think it was on September 30th of last year, um, indicating that there's going to be a two within the next two years we're going to be looking to have de novo be mandatory to use EStar. Um, When it comes to any other submission type, though, pre-submissions, PMA, anything else we have in E-STAR, there has not been any discussion yet about when those would be mandatory. When can we expect other types of Q-submissions to be added into the pre-STAR? So right now we have, just to clarify for everyone, we have three E-STARs. There's a non-in-vitro diagnostic E-STAR that includes content for 510k de novo and PMA, and there's an in-vitro diagnostic version that has content for 510k de novo and PMA as well. And there's a third pre-star, we call it. It's for early submission requests. And it will eventually cover all Q subtypes, IDEs, and 513G. Right now, that pre-star only has pre-subs, the two different pre-subtypes. And they're a type of Q sub. So the question is, when are we going to get the other Q subtypes? Uh, And the answer is, it's not going to be probably for a couple years still. So, for example, breakthrough and... Uh, device determinations and things like that probably not going to come for a couple years and that's because right now we're just finishing up getting 513g added 513g is going to come out and be added to the pre-star pretty soon i think uh, and then after that we're going to be working on ide originals so just original IDEs, not the supplements uh, and then after ide originals that's when we're going to go back and try to work on the q subs but ide originals going to take a while to do that that's not a small thing to do so how often does FDA change template versions? So the updates vary dramatically, as you saw in 2023. Um, and it's not because of us, the group that makes e- or manages E-STARs, because we have to make sure that E-STAR aligns with policies. When policies are published and implemented, E-STAR has to align with those on those dates. And the way our policies and guidances get updated, it's on a very irregular, sporadic schedule. And so there is no prediction for that. Um we and so this is the way it, it it has been for years, in fact. I think eStar just makes it so it's more apparent now. So for example, you know, even back with eCopy before eStar, uh let's say you're working on a submission and you know you're about to submit it to the FDA, but oops, a cybersecurity guidance comes out and it's it's been implemented. And your device has cybersecurity considerations. If you don't then go back and have to you know, change your submission to abide by that new guidance, if you submit it as it is without abiding by that guidance that's been implemented, you're gonna get more additional information requests than you otherwise would have because you aren't filing the new policies, right? So it works the same way with E-Star, as I just described earlier. Um, and so because of that, you know we got these policies that are erratic. I can tell you that uh, my team and our digital transformation team and other industry folks on the outside, they would really like it if we had a more regular, predictable update schedule, you know, implementation schedule for policies and guidances and things like that. And what we've been pushing for, what I've been internally pushing for, uh, is a quarterly update, you know, four times a year. Um, as I said, others have been pushing for that. So if anyone like, would like that, you know, please reach out, start promoting it to your industry trade groups, because it's something that we would like to see too, because that makes it easier for us to implement these policies and the E-STAR updates as well. And mind you, when we update the E-STAR, our internal review templates, which complement E-STAR, also get updated. So it's not just E-STAR, we're also updating this whole internal network of templates when any of these policies get updated too. So we would really like it if that was more predictable as well. Next question is asking about the import-export function. So at the very end of E-STAR, there's an import and export button. And what you can do, let's say you you know, were, we're using version 4.0, you have cybersecurity considerations, 5.0 becomes implemented before you were able to submit. You wanna be able to switch over to 5.0. Now in Adobe Acrobat Pro, you can use the ex- import export button. And so what you would do is in your older version 4 E-Star, you can click the in- export button. And what that's gonna do is it's gonna export all the structured data in your E-Star to an XML document. So it's going to pop up and say, Hey, where do you want to save this XML document? So you choose a place to save this XML document. Then you go and you open up the brand new, fresh, empty version 5.0 E-Star. Open that up, go back down to the bottom, you click the import button. It's going to ask for that XML document. You choose that XML and it will then load up the data. Now, something to keep in mind, it will take a couple minutes typically for it to upload. Um, it's, it's changing and modifying the e stars. it's uploading everything. So uh, Something else to keep in mind is if you have that slowness bug I mentioned earlier, you want to make sure you get that taken care of before you do this, because if you don't, this import function is going to take a lot longer to run if you have that bug affected. So something to keep in mind. The other thing, and this is addressed in the text there, is it doesn't import and export attachments. So you do have to re-go through and do attachments again. That's because you know attachments could make it very large and that would really stress you know, trying to import all those attachments too. So it's just doing the structured data. Um, also, it's worth noting that that only works in Adobe Acrobat Pro. So if you're using Foxit PDF Reader, Foxit PDF Reader, you can export, but the import function doesn't work. Foxit doesn't have the capability to import. PDF Exchange Editor, it doesn't have either capability. So you can't export or import with that. Just It just doesn't have the capability. So this only works in Adobe Acrobat Pro. So if you're using PDF Exchange Editor, and you do want to transfer to using a newer ESTAR, you would have to manually transfer everything over. And in fact, I've done that before. It actually doesn't take as long as you think it does. So, all right, next question Does it work with both text and attachments? Oh, yes, yeah, so that's part of the import export. Um, oh, asking about verification with that. So, um, when you are importing your data into a new ESTAR, the verification, there's a verification section at the end of ESTAR that's verifying all the sections that are complete that's temporarily disabled to try to speed up the import function. And so once you're importing, you'll notice that verification section is turned off. But right when you add an attachment or right when you answer a question or do anything, that verification section is going to become re-enabled and you're going to be able to start verifying again. So if you notice that verification is turned off, that's the reason. Question, oh, Playground. So eStar is a PDF. It's not a software application. It's not, you know, an online web form or anything like that. It's a standalone PDF that doesn't communicate with the FDA. So, download it from our website. You can play with it and do whatever you want to it uh, to figure it out. So, and I totally recommend you do that uh, to see how it works and so on. All right. The next questions are about attachments. All right. So, next, first one is about the types of files that are accepted. And this is addressed on uh, or in the FAQ on page one of E STAR, uh, where it states basically, So in in comparison to eCopy, first I'll say this, Uh, eCopy, we only accept a PDF. With eStar, we're going the other way around. We're accepting basically almost everything except a couple things. And so this is described in the FAQ, like I said, where it says eStar will automatically prevent any attachments that aren't acceptable. Meaning that the way you find out whether something's acceptable is you try to attach it. And if it's able to be attached, it's acceptable. Now, if you try to attach something that's not acceptable, like a .zip file, for example, what will happen is eStar will pop up a message that will tell you, first, that this file type is not acceptable. Here are the reasons. And it also lists all the file types that aren't acceptable. And there are, right now, three families that are not in that message that describes. So one being archive file types like .zips. Uh, Macro-enabled documents is another, like .docms. And executables, like Windows applications, for example, also can't attach those. Um, And the reasons for not being able to attach those all have to do with security reasons, as you would expect. So those are the only three families we're limiting right now, but everything else is acceptable. Um, It also goes into that typically folks are wanting to attach a .zip file because you have a lot of documents. You want to be able to package into one package and attach it just once. Instead of doing that in a dot .zip, what you can do is if you have PDFs, you can use the combine function in Adobe Acrobat Pro to combine multiple PDFs into a single test reports. Typically that you get from testing agencies are typically password protected because these testing agencies don't want you changing, you know, the test reports when you get them. Um, and so with password protected PDFs, you can't use that combine function, but what you can use is the PDF portfolio. That's another way of combining. So you can, uh, Take multiple password-protected PDFs, combine them all into a single PDF portfolio, and then attach that PDF portfolio into the eStar as well. It accepts those, so that is another option. All right. So the next question, uh, this is talking about prior communications. So in the pre-submission correspondence and previous regulator interaction section near the top of eStar, you know, we're asking about you know your previous interactions with the FDA, uh, and there's a place to attach things like emails and uh previous information about submission so what we're looking for there is information regarding if you submitted an ide you know what was the uh, you know if you got a pro- an ID approval letter you know attach the id approval letter or if there's any discussions about this submission uh in a 513g or q sub you know attach those discussions those emails uh the decision letters and things like that that's what we're looking for there um, and there's a place also to if there's any if you had any q subs or ide's or anything you know, to type in the G number or the C number for a 513G or the Q number and so on. All right, the size of the PDF attachment. So our CDRH portal, you know, where you can go to upload and send your submissions to us electronically, whether it's an e-copy or an e-star, we found that it will choke if either the e-copy package or the e-star is greater than four gigabytes. And it has an issue because... Our virus scanner just doesn't like things when it starts getting greater than four gigabytes. So until that's resolved, um, we have limited all e-copies and e-stars to be less than four gigabytes, equal to or less than four gigabytes being submitted to us. And so if you do have something, an e-star or an e-copy that's greater than four gigabytes as a directions in the CRH portal state, you would send that to us via snail mail, you know, on the previous method, you know, CD or a thumb drive in the mail. Now. We also found that the virus scanner doesn't like attachments that are greater than one gigabyte, and so because of that, we didn't want people adding attachments in eStar that were greater than one gigabyte, and then sending that eStar to us and only finding out when they're trying to upload it. They, oh, oops! You got an attachment greater than one gigabyte. Sorry, we can't accept that. Um, and so because of that, we have limited the size of attachments that can be attached in eStar to uh, equal to or less than one gigabyte. Now. Um, and so if you do have attachments that are greater than one gigabyte, there is actually directions in the CRH portal on how you can submit those to us outside of the EStar. So there's multiple different types of packages and attachments that you can send to us outside of the EStar, and those are all described like DICOM packages, um, uh, what's another one? CDISC packages. Uh, if you're a third party, your memo would come to us outside of the EStar, for example and then also attachments and things that are greater than one gigabyte. Um, We did this, so I can tell you one other thing was we did an analysis of the E-STARs we received. We found that the average size last I saw was 48 megabytes, so the size is well under the limit. However, we have actually received an E-STAR that was over 20 gigabytes large. Um, And just as an FYI, we actually received a IDE supplement a couple years ago that was 600 gigabytes large, so we do get some pretty large submissions in-house. But if you do have a one gigabyte attachment, uh, so oh sorry, we did verify that in all the ESTARs we received, uh, there was not but one time when an attachment was greater than one gigabyte. So there was only one ESTAR that had an attachment that size, and in that case that attachment was actually something that it was very abundantly clear. The applicant really did not mean to attach to the E star. So we discounted that, and it doesn't look like that this one gigabyte limit is actually going to cause an issue. Moving to the next question asking about whether Word documents or PDFs are preferred. Um, I think we'd probably prefer PDFs, but you can attach either Word or PDF. Um, I'll say that if you have an Excel file, we would definitely accept or would prefer the Excel file because Excel files allow us to do things, you know. It basically breaks down all the functionality in an Excel file if you convert it into a PDF. So if you do have an Excel file, we would prefer that. But if it's a Word document versus PDF, probably would prefer the PDF there. But again, it really doesn't matter. Next question is about links. Um, We described you can link one attachment to another attachment in E-Star. And the way that's done is in the FAQ. Uh, you can go to the FAQ, this is the very last FAQ on page one of E-Star, so you can go there and see the directions for that. Uh, can the document be password protected? Yes, but as described on, um, I think it's the third page of E-Star in a yellow text field, your attachments need to be readable. So as long as we can read it, you're good to go. If the password prevents it from being readable, then it will be considered an irrelevant attachment. And then it could be put on what's called a technical screen hold, which I'll get to a little bit later. Oh, so this next one is about uh, page numbers. So uh, I've never seen a test report that didn't have page numbers in it. I think that's what they're talking about here. But if your test report doesn't have page numbers and you need to refer to a certain page uh, to, you know, identify a certain, you know, criteria or, or test result uh, in a text box. What you can do is, I think, in all the PDF viewers out there, even if the page numbers aren't don't have, even if the PDF doesn't have page numbers, the uh, program will actually give it page numbers. You can, you know, it has the page number sequence at the top, and so you can always type in a certain page number and jump right to that page number. So, uh, uh, advise the reviewer according to that that page number chooser that's in the application that you're using. I hope that made sense. What I'm trying to describe there. Uh, the next question had to do with Excel or photos. Yeah, if you're submitting Excel documents or photos, we prefer it to be in that format. Don't convert those to PDF. Uh, next question is about risk assessment and management. So there's a benefit risks uh, a benefit risks and mitigation section that's in EStar, but it's only enabled for the submission types that require that content. So uh, special five ten Ks have it, uh, de novos, PMA but not traditional 510K. It's typically not a normal section for that. Uh, so if you have some risk analysis or mitigations that you do want to submit, uh, my recommendation is provide it in the respective section it affects. So if it's regarding, let's say, device design, put it in the device description section. If it's regarding something, regarding like testing or bench testing, put it in the bench testing attachment question. Uh, so yeah, the respective section should go in. All right, the next question had to do with why attachments are breaking when they attach them. Um, Please reach out to us if you're attaching attachments and for some reason they're breaking or not opening. We haven't seen this, so we'd like to know what that's about. All right, so now we're to uh, the difference between refuse to accept and technical screening. So these are completely different. Uh, With refuse to accept, back with e-copies, the purpose of refuse to accept was to verify that the submission was complete. Verifying, you know, all the documents were there and everything was there that we require. Um, with Refuse to accept, you had a guidance document, and you had a checklist, this long checklist that reviewers would fill out and applicants would typically do it too, um, and so on. With technical screening, all that goes away. So one thing I really like about EStar is that it did away with all sorts of guidances. You know, we've got so many guidances out there, and it just did away with a whole bunch of them. Like the e-copy guidance doesn't apply anymore for EStar. The format for traditional abbreviated 510K guidance document just goes away. RTA guidance document goes away, so it's great. With technical screening, we don't need a new guidance document. RTA guidance has not been replaced because with technical screening, we're just looking at the accuracy and the relevancy of what you provided us. So as long as we can verify that the responses in eStar are accurate and that the attachments are relevant, meaning that they address the question to which they're attached, You know, your that attachment is, in fact, a device description if you're attaching it, to the device description question. As long as we can verify those two things, then we can verify that the E-STAR is in fact complete. And so that's all technical screening is doing is the reviewers going through and they're looking at accuracy and relevancy. And if they find that there is something inaccurate or attachments are irrelevant, uh, they then put it on a technical screening hold. And that review for technical screening is done in the first 15 days. Uh, That's the only similarity with RTA really is you know, first 15 days, you can put something on hold, and that was because we wanted to keep our IT similar, not as complex. But otherwise, it's completely different. All right, the next question had to do with the auto-generated 510k summary. So, uh, I think the this first question is if you if you change right, if you go from the generated 510k summary to attaching one. Um, is that a problem? It's not a problem. So you can switch to attaching your 510K summary if you want. In fact, you don't even have to provide a 510K summary. You can choose to provide a 510K statement instead of a 510K summary. Uh, The statement is according to 807.93, sorry, 21 CFR 807.93. The regulation for a 510K 510K summary is uh, CFR 807.92. So as long as long as the summary that you're the 510k summary that you're providing follows all the criteria in 807.92 then you're good to go the 510k summary that e-star generates we have verified does follow uh, does abide by all the criteria in 807.92 so be aware that that auto generated summary has been vetted by our office of regulatory programs um, as well as 510k staff so that generated 510k summary is adequate as long as you did provide the responses in those text boxes as requested. And you can always go, if you really want that 510k summary links to all the different subparts of 807.92, you can always go to those and just be sure that you're answering those. But um, the text boxes in the 510k summary that's generated are actually auto-populated from different sections in E-Star. And so those sections in E-Star, as long as you filled out those sections, Accurately according to what was requested, then that auto generated 5 k summary should be complete and you should be good to go. But you can always go to 807.92 to verify if you would like. Um, next question had to do with how detailed those text boxes have to be. Really, it's as detailed as what we put in E star. So the E star is asking for what should go in those. Follow those directions. You can, again, go to 807.92 to verify what's actually really. Exactly stated is needed there. Um, and as long as you're following that, that's all that's needed in that 510k summary. All right, next one is if you do a manual summary, will it reject? And no, it will not. Uh, when you print out the completed. Uh, if, you print out a, if you print out the 510k summary, there are no yellow text fields in there. So it's not gonna, you're not gonna, of course, get those. But if you if you print out the whole E star from top to bottom, then everything in there will be part of that printout. Um, and if you if you have a biocompatibility section, which, you know, you have these multiple tabs there in the biocompatibility section, those tabs will be automatically expanded in that printout so that everything is displayed in that printed out version of E-Star. Um, and with that printed out version, whether you actually print it to a physical form or whether it's printed to a flat, non-dynamic E-Star, you can comment on either one if you want. That's the way you can add commenting. All right, the next one had to do with outsourcing text elements from eStar. star um, I think I was told that that meant whether you can um, just in the text boxes state, please see attachment. Um, and no, you shouldn't do that. We don't have that many text boxes in eStar, star frankly. Um, and the ones that are there have a purpose. You know, they auto-populate the 510k summary or they're needed for some other reason. Um, and so you shouldn't just say, please see attachment in those. If you do that, we're going to take that as an inaccurate response and your submission might go on a technical screening hold. Next question is, do the file content stay confidential? Uh, yes, but keep in mind, uh, if you do for, and this is just one example, uh, if you do decide to submit a 510 statement as opposed to a 510 summary, there's a reg for 510K statements that basically says if anyone requests a copy of your submission, you need to provide it to them. So keep that in mind. Um, if I were on the outside advising a medical device company, I would tell them you should never submit a 510K statement. You should always do a 510 k summary, especially since it's now being auto-generated for you. So next questions have to do with biocompatibility. Uh, I Was asking about whether we can whether they can submit a single attachment or multiple attachments. In that. Yes, you can submit. Multiple attachments. If you have multiple test reports that you need to attach, you can attach all those to the biocompatibility section. Uh, the next one has to do with standards. So in version 3.0 and going back of eStar, uh, we used to collect there's a standard section near the top of eStar in the admin section. And it was asking you to list the standards that you use, but is also asking you to attach documents, supporting documentation is what it's called. Um, to the standards uh, that um, you, you added at the top there. That supporting documentation would include if you had deviations to the standards, for example. Um, now in 4.0, I think it was 4.0, we changed that. So you still list your standards at the top, but if you had deviations to the standards, we now want you adding that as an attachment to the respective section. So for example, let's say you have, you, you added uh, standard ISO 10993-5, which is a biocomp standard um let's say you had deviations there somehow instead of attaching the deviations document up at this up at the standard section you would instead attach that to the biocompatibility section and the same would go for like reprocessing or sterility and so on all right next one had to do with software uh this one was particular to special 510k so they're asking if their change doesn't involve software how, how do you disable so if you have a special 510k and you choose special 510k on the second page of eStar, what you'll see pop up is a checkbox group. And you'll see, there's directions here for all this. It's gonna tell you basically to uncheck the checkboxes for the sections that don't apply to your submission. And so if your change in your special 510k has nothing to do with, has no effect on software, you would uncheck the software checkbox. And when you do that, you'll notice that the whole software section in eStar is disabled. So you don't have to provide any attachments or do anything down there. Okay. And that's how it works for all the sections. So, um, any, all the sections that aren't, that could potentially not be needed in a, a special 510K are listed in that checkbox group. But there are sections that are required in every 510K, regardless, like device description, labeling, indications for use, and so on. Those will always be there. So, if you're making changes just to labeling or just to indications for use or just to device description and it doesn't affect anything else, you could, you would, Presumably, just uncheck every single checkbox there, and that's presuming that you actually did not affect any of those sections. All right, the next question is a good question. It had to do with um, in the cybersecurity section, there is a new question that was added in version 5.0 regarding um, operating systems and ensuring that all software and operating systems that your device uses have uh, are supported still. They're not obsolete. Um, I actually reached out to our cybersecurity team about this, and their reply was they did not foresee any possible acceptable rationale for why any device could safely use software or an operating system that's obsolete and, again, doesn't have any more continuing support. However, they said they could see that there could be a potential way that could be potentially rationalized. So. We are gonna make a change to E-STAR based on this question, a very small change to that question uh, based on this question that we received here. So that will be coming in the next update. All right, and the other questions had to do with cybersecurity. Uh, Those uh, we've been asked to send to our cybersecurity experts. Uh, You can contact them via email at OPEC underscore cybersecurity at fda.hhs.gov. OPEC is spelled O-P-E-Q, okay? And I think that is all the questions, so thank you.
0: Yep, thanks, Patrick. That was a uh, very helpful, and I especially appreciated the parts uh, debunking the commonly misunderstood um, sections of E-STAR, you know, kind of across the industry. Um, I know the 500 or so attendees are gonna really appreciate all these uh, clarifications, um, as well as the people who listen to my podcast and follow Sean and I on LinkedIn. So thanks for contributing.